This message is provided by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. Pastor Jason Swanson is our senior pastor here at Rancho Baptist Church, and this message was recorded during one of our regular Sunday morning services. And today Jason is talking about man's fundamental problem as he delves into the distractions of our heart. Let's join Jason now in his message. Well, good morning. I'm very excited to to open up God's Word with, with you all this morning. And on a topic that I feel is, is, is very important, because if you're like me, then, then you probably have struggled with this before. And, and maybe you haven't firmly grasped the significance of what, what we're going to talk about today, what we're going to look at in God's Word. And as I, as I think back to different times in my life where I've, I've honestly just things that seen things explode in front of me, I've often wondered, what happened? What was going on? Even, even in my own reactions at times, when, when just out of the blue, I'll, I'll react and I'll, and, I'll, and I'll think, man, where did that come from? I, I don't know if you guys can relate. I, I've seen things in Papua New Guinea that, that just honestly blew my mind. I, I, I couldn't understand, man, where, where is this coming from? This seems like these were the normal guys, and yet in this particular circumstance, in this instance, it, it was crazy to see what was happening. You see, at one point, our, our village, our airstrip, just became so messed up that I guess some, some bugs came and they grew and the middle topsoil of our airstrip, and they ate away all, all the topsoil. So when, when our plane came and landed, it, it was like carpet rolling up under it. <laughs> and, the, and the grass just rolled right up. And finally, the, the, the pilot said, hey, we're going to have to close down your airstrip unless you guys resurface this crown. This, this, the, the grass is just its too soft. It's tearing everything up, and we can't even get your whole family in in one plane, Jason. So you guys need to fix this airstrip. And so what we endeavored to do was we, we hired 25 of, of our villagers, 15 men, 10 ladies, and, and my coworker and I, Tom, we, we took turns going and getting in the tractor and, and literally doing donuts with the tractor and letting one, <laughs> one wheel turn really fast and the other wheel not. And that would turn up the, the grass and just leave great big mounds of grass. The women would then come and they'd pick up that grass and they'd put it in these big baskets that they made, and they'd carry it to the end of the airstrip, off to the sides. The men would go to the river, and they would get a whole bunch of gravel, stone, and they'd bring that from the bed, from the riverbed there, and then they'd dump it in the middle of our airstrip, and basically we, we redid 600 meters, little sections at a time of our airstrip, just like that by laying all this stone down and making it very, very hard. Well, one day... The man that we had marked to be like kind of the leader of, of this whole group and these guys that were working, he was supposed to designate who the 25 people were, 15 men, 10 ladies. Well, his math wasn't very good, and instead of, of hiring 15 men, he hired 20. And those extra five men, we didn't have money right there and then to actually pay them. So he had to go back and say, oh, I'm sorry, uh, you guys really don't have any work today, so go off to your gardens or whatever, and you guys can work in a couple days. Well, one of those men was the, the, the man that I mentioned last week, Sabien. Remember the village hothead, the sorcerer, and this and that? So he got so angry and mad that he says to, to his fellow Siawi man, 
I'm going to kill you. And then he looks at my coworker who's on the tractor and he said, I'm going to come back and kill you too. And he storms off to the, to the village to get his bows and arrows and everybody disappears. All the women run into the bush, into the jungle and hide. All the men kind of stand off to the side to see what's going to happen. And I'm working in my office because we hadn't started teaching. There was no church yet. This is the very beginning days of our ministry. And my coworker comes to me, visibly shaken. He's like, Jason, we need to talk. We're in trouble. And as I walk down, he says, well, actually, I'm in trouble. I think you're okay. <laughs> and we walk into the middle of the airstrip, and he expands on this whole story. And we decide, okay, let's just sit and pray. So we sit in the middle of the airstrip among the work, right where we were working, and there's rocks all over the, best, all over the sides of us. There's a big pile of rocks here that the men were getting ready to, to lay down. And, and as we're sitting and praying, I hear all this commotion and I look up the airstrip and I see Sabian coming with his bow and his arrow and he's screaming and he's saying, we don't even know what he's saying. And as he's coming towards us, a man steps out of the trees, like the line of trees right next to the side of our airstrip. And he puts his hand in front of Sabian and, and lo and behold, if, if you can believe this, Sabian takes his bows and his arrow, his arrows and his bow and he hands them to this man. So he's coming at us now, empty-handed, no weapons, and we're thinking, man, everything is good. He's still screaming, but at least he's not going to shoot Tom or me. And as he walks up, another man comes out of nowhere, and he's holding a machete very high in the air, and he's screaming, oh, so you think you're the big man of this village. I'll teach you. And he starts chasing Sabien around us in a circle with this great big machete. And so... I end up kind of taking this guy's legs under from under him with my arms and Tom jumps over and jumps on top of him and takes the machete from him. And what does Sabian do? He comes up to him and kicks him in the head. And so that starts a whole nother fight. And while they're fighting, Sabian's brother decides that his brother is losing. So he comes over and jumps in the fight, which then precipitates this other guy's brother to jump in. So now we have two brothers fighting each other and Tom and I are screaming, telling them to stop. Meanwhile, all the men of the village have decided that this is better than television because they don't know what television is. And they come in and they do a a perimeter circle around all of us. While this big fight's going on, we're trying to stop and we hold off one guy and the other guy breaks loose and and, and clocks one. I mean, it's like the Wild West. And then things progress again and they both get out of our hands and, and, and the men, all of a sudden, I, I zip, what, what was that? Zip. Well, they're rocks. And the guys in the perimeter, whenever Sabian and his brother would turn around and have their backs facing to them, they're taking cheap shots. And they're throwing rocks at the back of Sabian and his brother, knocking them down, but then they get back up. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, stop throwing, who's throwing, stop throwing the rocks. And then I'm looking, and, and it's like the nice guys. They're the ones picking up the rocks and they're not hitting the other two brothers. They're only going after Sabian and his brother because th- these are the hotheads of the village that nobody likes. And they're not going to dare stand up to them in their face to face. But w- when they get a shot like this, they're going to take it, I guess. Things progress and progress and progress until finally I see what, one of like Sabian's brother. He goes over and, and, and I don't even know where this boulder came from. But he picks up this great big stone and walks over to to the guy that was fighting his to Sabian and he drops it on top of his head and he just drops like a sack of potatoes 
all the women come out and start crying because they think he's dead. Sabian and his brother run up to the village. All the men start talking about going up and killing them. Tom and I, my co-worker, we, we pour water on this man that, that just got that stone put on his head and his, and his, and his skull is partially crushed in and, and, and he wakens and then just starts throwing up. And so we have to call the airplane. And while Tom's calling the, the airplane to come in and pick him up, I run up to the village to stop further mayhem from, from going on because they seriously have all their bows and arrows and they're ready to just start letting the bows and arrows go right in through Sabian's house and kill both of these men. Other guys are saying, okay, well, then we'll just light it on fire and we'll trap them inside of it. And I say, hey, look, look, look. This is because of something that we did at the airstrip. Let me try to handle this first. I go in and, and, and talk and, and, and praise the Lord. Everything worked out okay. And, and this man, Mabo, that, that got the rock thrown on him, he ends up becoming one of our elders by God's grace. But, but I say all that to ask you, why does this happen? H- how can something like that happen? And, and, and is, is this just because they, these guys are Papua New Guineans, because they, they live in the middle of nowhere and, and, and they have no laws? Is that why? Is, this because, is it because of there's no social control? That, that the government, the, the, the long arm of the government doesn't reach to them? Is that the problem? I think many people would tell us different reasons as to what the fundamental problem is of man, right? Which is the, what I've labeled this, this series. We're, we're going to deal with this for a couple weeks because I believe it's so important. Is, is that the fundamental issue? Is it the environment? Is it where you're raised? And, and I don't want to downsize that because that does play, but is it the fundamental issue? Is that the reason why we're the way we are? Is that why we struggle with sin? Is that why we see anger turn into hatred that turns into murder? And Others would say, oh no, it's your past. We're victims of our past. And it's because of something that happened to you in your childhood. That's the reason. And, and that's probably, man, if we went around and we found out those guys that were throwing rocks, you'd probably find out there's a story in there that points back to their past. And this, really? Is, is that what God's Word says? No, the, the, the past does have a bearing, but it's not the fundamental issue. Others would say, oh no, Jason, it's a physiological thing. It's biological. And the only way to fix this is, is, is through meds. And, and, and once you give the right meds and, and, and this and that, that the biological, those chemical problems, you, you'll write the ship and every, okay, is that the fundamental issue? Is that what is going on? Others say, no, it's, it's, it's our thought process. You see, man's a thinker. And, and what we need to do is we need to help people think properly. And if you can just somehow realign man's thought processes, restructure his, his thought processes, and that's what this he always needed to understand, right? You, you needed to help them think through the situation. He should have had, called a truce, Jason, and said, no, we need to think about this sensibly. W- w- would that have helped? Well, probably not. <laughs> Things were so out of control. 
No, what, what the Bible says is, is that man's fundamental problem has to do with something deeper. Something that drives us more than our environment, more than our biological makeup. And, and, and we could even get into the fact that really our, our, it's our biological makeup. No, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. We're created in, in the image of God, right? That the Bible says that, that the fundamental issue is man's heart. Man's heart. And, and we see over and over and over again in God's Word where, where God, He emphasizes this idea of man's heart. So today, we're going to see four different ways that, that the heart is depicted in, in, in Scripture, which God wants you and I to learn from so that we can walk the way of the righteous that, that we looked at last week in Psalm 1. There's a whole part of that puzzle that, that I didn't really expand very much because Maybe you recognize too that, okay, well now I know how I'm supposed to walk, but the reality is, Jason, oftentimes I don't walk that way. I don't always walk the way of the righteous. And why is that? Well, a big part of the puzzle, the biggest piece is our hearts. So we're going to see four different ways that the heart's depicted. First, we're going to see in Genesis what, what, I've, what I've termed a, a dense heart, a hard heart. In Proverbs, we're going to see Solomon encourage his son to have a determined heart. In the book of Jeremiah and Jeremiah the prophet, he's going to warn us of a deceitful heart. And then finally, we're going to wrap it up today with Jesus in Matthew, where he's going to teach us that we are to have a devoted heart. Not a devoted heart for anything else but for our God. A devoted heart for God. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 4. And that's where we're going to start. And sorry, we're going to jump around a little bit this morning. And the idea is, is that you all would see that this isn't something I've made up, that this is a, a scriptural heartbeat of God's Word. That this is something that, that, that we see throughout Scripture. It's not just the New Testament, the, the Apostle Paul, but or the book of James. It, it actually stems all the way back. In fact, it, it, you can't go back any further unless you're going to go to the fall to see where we first see this talked about. And why is that? Because God wants you and I to understand how our hearts are active and how they do play a role. So, so Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. Now the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Again she gave birth to his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So God gives us a little bit of background into both of these brothers, right? Obviously, I'm thinking that their dad, Adam, must have done both of these kind of jobs. That this was the reality for so many of, of you know, guys back in this day. That, that on the one hand, he was a keeper of flocks, and on the other hand, he, he was a man that, that worked in the garden. And so each of the brothers follows that aspect of their dad. And, and then look, so, so it came about, verse 3, in the course of time, so we don't know exactly how long this, this was before this happened, that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Isn't that interesting? Why? I, I mean, I know that sounds like a, 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 a weird question, but it doesn't give us any background. We're, we're, there's some assumptions that we can draw, but the reality is we, we don't know. 
you can look back at the garden. Oh, well, okay, maybe when God did this, Adam and Eve then taught their sons, you know what? God, God wants us to give him an offering. We, we don't know. But what we do know is that they decided, man, okay, we're going to give God an offering. And so Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground. That's all that it says. Of the fruit of the ground. Is that is, is fruit evil? Is that why God doesn't accept his offering? No, keep, keep looking. Abel on his part also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. So not only do we see a distinction in what they brought, but we see a distinction in how they brought it and what kind of thing that they brought even within their own framework, right? Because it doesn't say that, that Abel just brought one of his sheep. It says he brought what? The firstlings. That, that would, that would be the same of, of Cain bringing his first fruit. The choicest fruit. The best fruit. Verse 4. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. And people go all over the place in commentaries giving an interpretation of why God had regard for one and why God had no regard for, for the other. And why Abel's sacrifice was, was pleasing to the Lord and, and why Cain's was not. And they, and they oftentimes will jump right into, you know, kind of substitutionary atonement and the, the giving of the blood with the sacrifice and, and this and that. Well, I, I, don't, I don't see any of that in this text. I, I, man, you, you can get some of that if we go to Hebrews, but at, at this point, no, that isn't what we see. It, it seems to me that, that the clear, easiest implication is that God's trying to reveal something deeper, that He's trying to reveal the heart of each of these men. That on the one hand, not, not only was Abel's sacrifice different or his offering different, but it was given in such a way that it was something that, man, this meant something to him because he recognized, man, this is my God. And I want to give him the best of what I have. Whereas Cain, maybe he was just going through the motions. Right? Maybe he was just coming to church because that's what people do on Sundays. You can tell by their response. Look at Cain's response. So Cain... Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Again, the Hebrew word is, 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 is becoming like fire. Burning with anger. And his countenance fell that you could see it on his face. And in our village, in, in Siawi, when somebody became really angry, they would say, the Maui, the Wimha. Say that, that literally his nostrils would flare up. That he'd be so angry you could see it in his, in his, in his manner, in his nose. I believe that's that, that's what we're getting at here. That's how mad Cain is. But look at God's grace. Look at God's grace in verse 6 and recognize that outside of the garden, this is the first recorded time that we hear God talk. That God comes. And it's, and it's not to Abel saying, well done. Thank you. It's to the other brother. And it's not correct, corrective. It's not even admonishing Cain so much as it is what? Preventative. He's trying to give Cain a little bit of glimpses. Man, stop walking down this road. 
Look what he says. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. What? What door? What house? What do you mean? Sin is crouching. What else could he be referring to except for the door of his heart? Right from the beginning, God wants to communicate to you and to I how important our hearts are. And that our hearts are active. And that our hearts are going to do what? That sin wants to use our heart as an instrument for evil. He wants to, sin wants to take that and run it further. And further and further and further. And our heart will we'll listen to that sin. It's a, it's what? What does he say? It's a crouching at the door. And what's Cain supposed to do about this? But you must master it. How many of you have mastered your heart? What do you think? Is it is it even possible to master your heart? And, and this is why I believe this fits in so well with last week. You and I can't master our hearts without God's help. Not, number one, you and I can't master our heart or really anything about our sinful flesh without being redeemed. Without being regenerated. Without being born again. Without being brought into God's kingdom, being brought into God's family, right? So first and foremost, we, we, we have to recognize that the gospel does play a huge part in this. The biggest part that allows us to be able to master the heart. And, and, and what is Cain a picture of? A strong believer walking in God's grace, being led by the Holy Spirit? No. He's a picture of an unbeliever who allows his heart to continue to what? To lead him, to guide him into further sin. And so what do we see in in verse 8? Cain told his brother. We don't know what Cain told Abel, his brother, but he told him something. And it was enough to get him to go with him. And it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. So Cain's heart was what? It was dense. It was a hard heart. And the lesson for you and I is that we would not, not have this kind of hard heart. But, but maybe it's good for, for me to, to, to give us a little bit of definition as to when, when the Bible talks about a heart, and, and it isn't even mentioned here in, in Genesis 4, what the Bible's talking about. It's, it's, it's mentioned in, in Genesis 6 as God looks at the world, and what does He say? He's grieved with man because of what? The Lord saw, Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. There's no wiggle room there to say that there's something good about our hearts apart from Christ. And Him giving us a new heart, as Jeremiah talks about, as we're going to look at next, very soon. So we need God's help. 
we, we need our hearts to be what? To be renewed, reborn. And so when, when the Bible speaks about the heart, it's really speaking about the inner being of a man. Many times it can be used as the inner man contrasted to the outer man. As we saw in the, in the life of, of um, David, man, when God was talking to Samuel, man looks on what? On the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. 1 Samuel 16, 7. The heart then is, is seen as the fountain of all that man does. His thoughts, his desires, his words, his actions, they all flow out of what? They all flow out of the heart. It's not an arbitrary thing. And what is the wisest man that ever lived? What, is, what does he say about the heart? Let's, let's turn to Proverbs and we'll look real quickly at something that Solomon said. Proverbs chapter 4. I believe I, I have a rough outline in your, in your bulletin. And this then is, is, is a determined heart. This is the counsel of Solomon to his son. Basically, in a nutshell, what Solomon is doing, man, this is what is important, son. This is what I want you to understand. This is what I want you to grab a hold of. Of all the wise things that Solomon's going to say, this, this is something that comes up quite often. Proverbs 4, actually verse 21, but let, let me start at verse 20. My son, give attention to my words meaning these Proverbs, meaning these inspired words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Verse 21, Do not let them depart from your sight. Not from your mind, but from your sight. So we're supposed to be looking at the Word. Keep them in the midst of your heart. And how do you do that? Well, you can't do it sitting on your heels being passive. And, and this is what he's saying. He's saying, focus on your heart, son. Know it. Protect it. Guard it. Why? Because it is the control center from which everything happens. So, so determine to know your own heart. Have a determined heart. And then probably one of the go-to passages in the Old Testament that we're all familiar with is found in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 17. Turn there with me. Jeremiah chapter 17. We're going to look at verses 5 to 10 and going to kind of walk through this a little bit. We have to give you a little bit of background with Jeremiah and, and who he's writing to and, and, and what's taking place during this time because this really is a, at least a good picture for me. Because the, the nation of Israel is not doing what God wanted them to do. But they're playing church. And so it's like Monday to Saturday, the nation of Israel worships all these other gods. And then on Sunday, they, they, they bring sacrifices to Yahweh. And, and then throughout all of this, it's, it's like they still don't get it. And they think that it's, hey, as long as I put this little band-aid over on this and I come to church on Sundays, and it, it doesn't really matter how I live throughout the week, Lord. And, and they don't understand the, the dynamics of what? Of their very hearts. And so look at this is very similar to what we looked at in Psalm, Psalm 1 last week. 
Let me start in, in verses 5 and 6. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength and whose heart turns away from the Lord. For he will be like a bush in the desert and will not see when prosperity comes, but will live in stony wastes in the wilderness, a land of salt without inhabitant. So it, it, it flushes things out a little bit more. And it says, Blessed is, or cursed is the man who's, what? Whose heart turns away from the Lord. That, that's what was going on in, in the Israelite camp. Their heart was far from God, but they were still going through the motions. And, and God was wanting to inform them. Hey, your hearts are active and your hearts are not for me. Your hearts are against me. They have turned away from me. And so that's why you guys are standing under cursing now and the curses instead of the blessing. But there is hope. Look at verse, verses 7 and 8. Much like we saw the righteous man being blessed last week. Verse 7 and 8. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. For he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream and will not fear when the heat comes. But its leaves will be green and it will not be anxious in a year of drought nor cease to yield fruit. So again, he's, he's depicting, contrasting two ways of life, right? Honestly, two hearts. One, one a heart that turns away from God and, and the, on the other heart that turns towards God. A heart that wants to please God, a heart that wants to trust God. And that that kind of heart is, is a heart that will be what? Like a tree planted by the water. Notice going back to, to verse 6, that, that you would think that a bush in the desert, that I would say that that would bear no fruit. But that's not an, an entirely true. A, a bush in the desert can, can bear like thistles and thorns. Right? And, and isn't that what we see in, in, in the fruit in the life of Cain? There was, if you want to call it fruit, that was produced in the life of Cain. It just isn't a good fruit. It's a fruit contrary to, to walking God's path, following the way of the righteous. It's, it'll be like the fruit that Cain's heart produced, which it did what? It turned anger into murder. It's that, that same kind of fruit by, by not giving your heart to the Lord, but having a, clo- a closed, calloused heart to the Lord that then turns lust in, into adultery and all these other things. And that's not even getting to verse 9 yet. The heart is what? The heart is more deceitful than all else. Huh? Huh? more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick, who can understand it? And if that wasn't enough, I, the Lord, search the heart, I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. So not only can we not understand our hearts, not only are they totally deceptive, more deceptive than anything else, but God actually looks at our hearts and he searches our hearts. Unlike you and I, I have no idea where your hearts are at. Man, that's telling We can't even trust our own hearts. We can't understand them. And yet our hearts are always active. They're leading us one way or they're leading us the other. 
And, and isn't this a, a place where you just stop and you say, thank you, Lord, for your grace. For not keeping me there. That we're not stuck in Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 9 and 10. That we're stuck there and completely in judgment over and over and over again. But there is hope. But if you, if you think about it, Jesus talked a, a lot about the heart. He didn't preach solely on what somebody must do. First, he would oftentimes preach about the heart. Turn with me to the New Testament. Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. And I, I think this is so powerful. I'm, I'm just going to read all these first 20 verses. Because Jesus depicts this so clearly. And, and, it, and it's not like rocket science to figure out what he's trying to explain. He's, he's saying that we're not sinful because of what we do. We're sinful because of who we are. And that sin comes from our hearts. Then some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, verse 1, Why do your disciples break their tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And He answered and said to them, Why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? So He turns it back on them. For God said, Honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, Whatever I have that would help you has been given to God. He is not to honor his father or his mother. And by this, you invalidated the word of God for the sake of your tradition. So they had this tradition called the Corbin. And to look so godly and great in front of everyone, they would take all of their possessions and they would give it to the church, so to speak. And then later, when their parents got old and needed help, and it was supposed to be the time that they would then look after their parents and help them. They'd say, hey, sorry, can't. We've given all that we have to the Lord because we're so devout, because we're so godlike. And Jesus is saying, no, you're doing all of this with hearts that are far from Yahweh. Look at what he says. You hypocrites. Man, strong words. You hypocrites. Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you that this people honors me with their lips. But their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. After Jesus called the crowd to him, he said to them, Hear and understand, it is not what enters into the mouth that defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth. This defiles the man. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement? Yeah. <laughs> But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant shall be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. Such strong words. But listen, there, there is so much truth for us in, in, in these last five verses. Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. Jesus said, Are you still lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? Yeah, of course, Jesus, we understand that. But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and those defile the man. For out of the heart, 
listen to this, come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, theft, thefts, false witness, slanders. These are the things which defile the man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. Again, Jesus is saying, we're sinful not because of what we do, but because of who we are. Because of our wicked hearts. And we need help. And that's why we need the Gospel. That's why you need the Gospel. That's why I need the Gospel. Turn back with me to to Matthew chapter 6 and we'll close with this. No, I kind of did things differently. Instead of giving you the fill in the blanks at the beginning, I I put them at the end. And I I wanted to leave you with something that, that... that you could ponder throughout the rest of the week and think about and, and, and what some people would call it's the principle of treasure, which ha- has to do with our heart and in the context of everything we've been talking about this morning. It's important for us to recognize how our hearts function. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So, so the, what Jesus is talking about here is a devoted heart for God and for the things of God and for the things of eternal significance. The principle of treasure. Number one, everyone lives for some kind of treasure. Don't we? I don't care who you are. I don't care where you live. You can come to Papua New Guinea and you'll see it. Materialism, this and that, it's alive and well. Not, not, not only is there crazy things happening on the airstrip, but, but they'll gravitate towards wanting the next best thing. It's just the next best thing might be a, a 24-inch machete. That's the prized possession. Or a new pair of sandals. Yes, your flip-flops that only cost you $1.99. Those are things that, that become that treasure. What's the thing that's the treasure for you? Number two, your treasure will control your heart. The, the thing that becomes that important to you becomes the thing that, that your heart in Siawi, they have this word of saying love where, where it's your heartstrings wrap around something. That's what our heart does. It wraps around the thing that we, that we consider the treasure, the most important thing to us. And then what happens is number three, whatever controls your heart will control your behavior. Whatever controls your heart will control your behavior. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The heart must come first. If the heart is right, then everything else will fall into place. Our actions always stem from our hearts. We do what we do because we want what we want. Righteous acts flow from a heart that's committed to God and a sinful act flows from a heart that's committed to self-serving self. That is the bottom line. And we need to be cognizant. We need to be understanding our own hearts. 
So this week, I ask that we would all seek the Lord and how we can know our own hearts better. And that looks like asking yourself certain questions like this. And I'll just throw these out and you can delve into deeper ones if you want. But when a situation arises this week where things get out of control, whether it's anger or lust or or what have you, ask yourself, what was I thinking about when I did that or I said that? What was occupying my mind? And then getting into the desires, what did I want when I said that? Or when I got frustrated? Oftentimes for me, I want to be in control when I get frustrated with traffic or this or that. I want to be God. And I want everybody else to disappear so that I can get to the place that I want to get to at the time that I want to get to. Right? Number three, am I more concerned about pleasing myself or pleasing my God? That will reveal your heart. Number four, how exactly was God glorified by what I did? And finally, did did I pray before I said that? Before I did that? Oftentimes for me, prayer will get my heart aligned. And God will convict me of of, of wrong thoughts or things that I'm holding on to that I should not be holding on to. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we we confess to you that, man, these things are, are, are difficult for us. We know that our heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Lord, we desire to follow You and to follow You alone. Help us to do just that. Give us Your wonderful grace as was displayed in the life of Cain who did not listen. Allow us to be palatable, to be humble enough to see when our hearts are leading us into sin and cause us to turn to you in repentance and follow you. Thank you for your word. Go before us this week and write your word upon our hearts. Allow us not to just be hearers of your word, but doers of your word. In Jesus' precious name, Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. Here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.com. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org Have a great day in the Lord and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.